Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. Hey guys, this is Chris. I'm Kim. And this is Dan. Welcome to episode 9. This week we have a lot of great news about the Extra Life event. Also, we were at Comic-Con, and we had a lot of fun there. We met a few great people and got a big donation from Japanime Games. Absolutely, we got Crossmasters, and that was given to us by Erica who I want to give an extra big shout-out to, because that was an amazing give for this event. Yeah, it was fantastic. We were both a little uh, shocked yeah, for a she, second. Yeah, and she was awesome, too. She let us know about upcoming products. She had complete, total knowledge of everything at that booth. She was on top of everything, very friendly. And Japanese Games makes great things. Tanta Quarry, Kanzumi Goddess. They had also at Comic-Con the two new expansions that aren't available in stores yet for Crossmasters Arena, which was really nice, too. Yeah, and it's an awesome-looking case. Oh, yeah. it's uh, It held all 32 of the miniatures. And they also had the Kickstarter exclusives of the 3D sculpts of the trees, the coins, the the uh, galleons of glory, everything. The price was 200 but if you go on eBay, it's like four times that. So it's Easily, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What she pointed out. <laughs> I know. I want it so bad, but oh, my God. It just... Yeah, 200 bucks is a lot. I know. For trees. I just wanted the trees. Yeah. <laughs> They're so nice. Yeah, but thanks, Erica. And she was actually the one I talked to on Facebook when I asked them if they could help out. So it was great to actually get to meet her after talking with her. Yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah. So we actually we were around there for most of the day yesterday. Um, we talked to some guys from Steve Jackson Games. We connected with a couple uh, other game stores from the area, one upstate. Yeah, Phone Brain Games. The, uh, the one thing I definitely discovered with Comic-Con is uh, they hate board gamers. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, years past, there used to be... Wizards of the Coast had a whole area, magic tournaments, uh, the D&D board games like Ravenloft and all those going on. They, you know, promo tons of miniatures, everything else. Wizards of the Coast left uh, two years ago, from what I gather. And last year, there was at least tables set up for, you know, Steve Jackson games on theirs. This year, nothing. No play areas. There was three stores that we found on the main showroom floor for any board game stuff. A couple of people had Legendary, the comic deck building game. And there was a few places that had Magic. Magic is still fantastic. And they had Modern Masters there. Everybody had it. Yeah, and the highest price we saw was 15 a pack, which is amazing because if you look around online, those are going like 20 25 Yeah. So that was really impressive. But as far as board games go, we found a very small selection. Yeah. We saw a lot of nice people, though. A couple people asked about the hats. Yeah, which was very good. Yeah, like, nice hat. I'm like, yeah, that's a podcast. <laughs> Listen to it. Comic-Con <laughs> doesn't care about board gamers. <laughs> Thank you, Kanye. <laughs> See, somebody got that. Yeah. <laughs> Still relevant. <laughs> I think he's just a little jealous. We didn't go to uh, Comic Con. You guys did. It, it could be. Yeah. I wanted to go to Comic Con. I saw the longing in your eyes. You're like, but, but, but I. <laughs> he was sniffing the tickets answers. I can smell the comics. <laughs> <laughs> there were lots of comics. If you yeah. like comics. Yeah, I mean, and I do. Yeah. Let's oh, yeah, not diss on Comic-Con too much. Yeah, it's it's not that it was a bad event. It's just that Comic-Con now seems to be so much more oriented towards just the one idea instead of incorporating. Like, Anime Alley was gone with the gaming area gone. Don't get me wrong. The Signature Alley was huge this year. Oh, it was Like, more signatures massive, than ever yeah. before. And with Kickstarter being so big now, there was also a lot of you know artists on hand that were showing their latest Kickstarter projects. So that was a big change from the last time we were there. And we've seen this at all the cons where geek culture has now really hit its peak. 
and all the Marvel movies, the DC series that have come out now, it's more corporate, and yeah. everything's moved to that nice, shiny, glossy level. So, like, San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, it was once about comics, and now it's about IPs. So take your IPs and see how you can market it to the fans there, because we're all great fans, and we'll definitely support the projects, but you do lo- lose the fun and flavor in the community of the comic book you know, convention that was really a great meeting house of people who really cared, understood, and really were a part of that bigger mythology. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of, uh, should, one other thing I wanted to note, though, is when we saw the legendary in the different stores, we didn't see the DC deck builder at any of the comic stands. Only the legendary, I noticed. And the other thing, too, is I'm wondering if the game has kind of hit that pinnacle of price, because a lot of places were selling it for about 50 or 55 why everything else was full retail. Literally every booth that had any gaming on it at all had Legendary. It was kind of weird. Yeah, and the, like, It's almost the, like Marvel went around handing it out. Like, yeah, and the it, fact that it was it. cheaper than the regular retail, I wonder if maybe that it's not pushing at the level they were hoping for. Because the game is great, but it is very pricey considering the components. It's really high. If you're trying to pull people from a different niche, not even outside the hobby, it's, you know, you're asking a lot, 70 bucks. Yeah, so, I mean, that was just something I kind of noticed when we were there. But no DC deck builder love. I think it's because the Legendary plays better than DC. Because when we played the DC, um, it it didn't have, like, uh, that feel of you're fighting a villain. Yeah, that's right. It's it's more like an adversarial against the players. Like, you want to score those most points. Yeah. But the legendary, it's like you have those, though you have the enemies coming out, and you need to stop them from escaping. So I think like the gameplay for that is much better than the DC. Yeah, that is true. Game. Yeah. So yeah, Comic Con was a lot of fun. We came home with Crossmaster, which is fantastic. Yeah, Met a lot of nice people. Got to share the love with our hats. <laughs> Got a few cosplayers to introduce us. We'll yeah, share those on really YouTube good. soon. So we met a lot of great people. Um, we've also been getting a lot of stuff in the mail. So I've been posting some of this on Facebook as it's been coming in. But we have, I mean, we're up around, I think, 20 games. Yeah, like about 20, 24 now. So, I mean, we have the Cards Against Humanity guys sent us uh, the base set and all three expansions. So we have basically all of Cards Against Humanity. Um, Looney Lab sent us Seven Dragons and Flux. Uh, Smirk and Dagger sent Sutaku and Dread Curse. Um, we got Little Devils, Crazy Creatures of Dr. Gloom. And Lost Temple from Stronghold Games, uh, Boss Monster with this awesome looking promo card. Yeah, that, that the that guy signed. Really cool. Yeah, like both the guys signed it. Um, we got Castellon, we've got Survive, we've got Crossmaster Arena, we've got uh, those. We're actually reviewing this later today, the Icon Superhero RPG, but we have five sets of that. Yeah, and it's great. It's not even just like a base book. We got the base book, the Villainomicon. And, like, the, the Storyteller's Guide. So it's actually the complete set you need to start running a campaign in this game. And the game actually plays pretty well, so we'll talk about that later, too. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, I just got this in the mail today from GMT Games. It was actually really surprising and kind of awesome. Uh, they sent us six games. So we got two copies of the uh, Dominant Species card game. We got Andy and Abyss, uh, Space Empires 4X, and then two copies of Twilight Struggle. That's all going into the raffle. That's very awesome. Yeah. And there's still, uh, there's other donations coming in from other uh, um, game companies, plus, as we mentioned before, Agricola from uh, Z-Man. So things are coming together great. It's going to be a lot of awesome stuff. Um, and even more news coming up next week. 
All right, yeah, and um, I'm also putting together a uh, calendar with all the uh, games we have scheduled. That should be up pretty soon. We have a rough draft of it up. Um, we're running it around to anybody who's actually planning on scheduling or running a game at uh, Myria that day. Uh, give one of us a shout-out because we have the calendar and we want to confirm when you're going to run those games. But we'll have that up on the website. It might even be on there now, and you can take a look and see what games we're running and what times we're planning to run them if you want to join up. Yeah, they can always just let us know on Twitter or Facebook. Twitter, we're at, we're at BGA Podcast. And then on Twitter, just search for Board Gamers Anonymous, and you'll see our logo. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you can we're all on there, so somebody will get back to you right away. We'll make sure you get y'all in there. So that is the major news for this week as we, uh, we get, what are we, two weeks away now? Yeah, this is right around the corner. I'm looking very forward to this. Yeah, the next two weeks are going to be crazy. So next week when we record, you're going to be listening to us just running circles and <laughs> list games like I don't know what we're doing at four o'clock it's this game or so but that's uh yeah two weeks from now and um that's that's all our news <laughs> pretty much and now it's time for acquisition disorder corner what's got our eyes this week guys okay with Halloween just around the corner one of my acquisition disorder has to be King of Tokyo's Halloween expansion. It's the first in the collector pack, and we, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Uh, King of Tokyo is that dice-rolling game where you have monsters that you fight against each other, and that little small board where you have Tokyo, and you're getting claws to attack, you're getting stars for points, and you're collecting cards as the game goes on. Um, with the addition of this, you're getting two new monsters. The first one is Pumpkin Jack. So basically you're looking at your Sleepy Hollow kind of figure with the flaming pumpkin on his head. And then, I'm sure it's going to be Dan's favorite, Boogie Woogie. <laughs> That's awesome already. I, I didn't make that up. <laughs> I'm not sure for where Boogie Woogie comes from, but... It, it almost sounds like a ripoff of Nightmare Before Christmas. Skeleton, Jack, and Oogie Boogie. Well, say, now, does he attack until he just can't attack no more? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's possible. Um, there's not too much information released about about the game, um, it's supposed to be an October release, hopefully before Halloween, but now they're saying possibly the 25th of October, so it's really close to Halloween, so I don't know how you're going to... a week with it? That's, <sighs> that's pretty rough. tight. But window. even if it's released, does it get to the stores in time? Yeah, that's Or a can question. you order it in time before Halloween? Yeah, it might show up that day. It's possible. Um, what's good about this is it's actually following the previous expansion, so you'll actually get each monster will have its own eight, eight, eight cards... Like those upgrade cards, right? Yeah. yeah each, so that's good. Yeah, each month will have its own, its own evolution pack. And I heard they have, like, special kind of dice, too, right? Yeah, you have your black and orange dice, so it's a nice swap in and out. But they're actually going to have special effects throughout the game, too. So it's like it's not going to be your standard dice. They're actually going to have something special on those, like, the Halloween-themed dice. Yeah, exactly. That should be cool. Yeah, there's not a lot of details on it in the back, but you can take a look at the box and the cards. It looks like they have some special effects together. Does it show, like, what the monsters look like? Yeah, if you take a look on Board Game Geek, you'll see on the actual box itself, you'll see Pumpkin Jack and just a small picture of Dan. Who is it? Boogie Woogie. It's Boogie Woogie, Dan. Um, yeah, but not much else is, too, is known about it, but it's definitely something I'm going to pick up as soon as it hits the store. I like that they got the evolution cards with it because um, like when it comes to Quarriers, that's actually been like one thing that always kind of got me about that game. I always loved Quarriers. The Corrupted set with the Demons had all the Corrupted cards. No future set ever had corrupted cards, not even ones you can like download as PDFs for print. 
So it's always kind of like a letdown when a game makes an expansion and then later expansions go, well, well we're just going to ignore that mechanic. You don't need it anymore. So I do like that they're giving you those evolution cards too. Yeah, and the dice is a nice touch too. I know people like the original dice when they printed them out only had like an actual number printed on them and the later sculpts actually had the indentation. Yeah. So these ones are going to have the indentation too. So some people who weren't able to get the, the new dice from the, the more current set can actually pick up these dice and play with them. That's good. Yeah, this is probably a game that we're going to see pop up at Essen. When it actually hits the store, who knows? All right, so uh, so one game I saw that's coming up in the future is Blue Moon Legends. Now, the name alone is a huge selling point to me. It's my favorite brand of beer. <laughs> but uh, the game sounds pretty interesting. It's uh, Again, it's by Fantasy Flight Games, which is always a huge pull for me, and Reiner Knizia, who did Poison and many other great games. It's a one-on-one battle-style game, like using like a card drafting mechanic as well. But it's not too bad. It's going to have like about 300 or so cards from what I gather. And the playtime is only about like 30 to 45 minutes. So the fact that it's only one-on-one, but you know, at Summoner Wars, it was only one-on-one, and I love that game. And again, that whole fancy element, it like looks like very mystical, like very arcane-based. That's always a huge pull for me, too. And once Fantasy Flight makes something, that's usually always on an automatic, you know, I'll, take, I'll try it once. Got to get that to the table. So that's looking pretty good. And the other thing I've kind of got my eye on is the Fantastic Four expansion for Legendary. Saw that. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty interesting, and they're going to have that challenge where it's going to be trying to defeat Galactus, which sounds great. Um, granted, I don't have the Legendary base game. We know a couple of people that do. I might, it might be that game where, uh, as we recommend, hey, make sure it's part of somebody's collection. I might chip in a few bucks towards this, because I am curious as to how they run this, like what additional heroes. I'm looking to see... Like, from what I gather at one point in the comics, Spider-Man was actually part of the Fantastic Four in one of the Marvel Universes after uh, the Human Torch kind of bit it. <laughs> so I'm, like, looking forward to see if they have him as card or if they have, like, any other alternate people sure, yeah. to up the volume of what the expansion can offer. So, I mean, it looks pretty interesting. You know, Legendary has always been a fun game, and, you know, anyone that thought fighting Apocalypse was bad, I'm sure fighting Galactus is going to be that much more of a nightmare for them. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it definitely looks cool. It seems like it should be a fun game. At the table this week. All right, so what's hitting our table this week? Oh, I read the email wrong. I thought it was tablet. I hit the tablet this weekend. What about oh, you, Chris? Oh, okay, well, that's what you told me. Tablet. Yeah, no well, one told me table. I mean, I guess that works. What's hitting the tablet this week? I played the new Tanto Quarry that came out for three ninety nine. I say it is a really good deal. Uh, it plays really well. I've only played it on easy so far. Our friend Earl, he played it on medium, and he said it just destroyed him every single time. He only won the game from easy. So I have not yet played it on medium because I'm a little f- afraid because I don't want to. I don't want it to become like Small World, yeah. <laughs> where I play it, yeah. it destroys me. I'm like. I do not want to play this game ever again. Where you can actually hear the air going, no, you don't! <laughs> exactly. But um, it's really cute. The mu- There's uh, music that plays in the background that's cute. When you buy maids, there's like this audio of these Japanese girls and they're saying something in Japanese, so you really don't know what they're saying. I think that's adorable. So it's like kind of cool. And that way, it actually makes me want to buy each separate one just to hear what they say. And when you play one game and you want to play another one, it's great that it's not 
the same cards. You're not seeing the same cards. They randomize them every time. So it's not like you're playing the same way. Like, one game, you can play where three maids basically give you special bonuses if you buy them in pairs. And that's, like, a really good way to win the game. And the next game I played, they weren't there. So I didn't have to worry about buying them. So I can pick a new strategy for that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, like, um, and that was made by Playdeck, who did Ascension and a few of the other deck builders, which is always really nice. The other thing that I really enjoyed about the game was you had two options. You can do the randomized, like you mentioned, and you can do the basic, which is, like, what the rule book recommends for the first time you play. So it's nice knowing that you can do that same starter game on the iPad, show somebody how to play the game, and then break out the real game and, you know, get the feel of those nice cards, like they have that nice thick stock. And that's also another game from Japan Anime Games, which was great. So I think the iPad game is going to be a great way to gateway people to check out the other expansions, too. So we've been talking about this for quite a while. Small World is one of my favorite games. And recently, they had uh, Days of Wonder had a Kickstarter. So if you are one of those people that kickstarted the game, you were able to get an early version of Small World 2. So this is really the Small World that we've been looking forward to. The original Small World released when the iPad released. So it is pretty much a really old game. and. Basically, what you were doing with the original version was playing a two-player game. And the AI was pretty brutal. So when you played your guys, they followed right up and they crushed you. I was going to say, pretty brutal is the most understatement thing I've ever heard about. <laughs> it's like trying to fight a Sherman tank with your bare fist. <laughs> but one of the great things about it was it really did have a, had the theme. It had the flavor. It had great artwork. Everything you liked about the game was actually there in person without having to clean up all those chits. Yeah. So now with Small World 2, you actually get to play five players, which is really great. And especially, you can play in a lot of different ways. So you can play solo, and the AI is still pretty decent. But now you can play five players, two, three, four, five, which actually allows you not to have to be crushed completely. It can crush itself. Yeah. <laughs> and give you some time to kind give of build it, a little bit. Put something else in the crosshairs for a few minutes. You still have the face-to-face. -face, you have the pass to play. But now you also have the online play. So Days of Wonder does have a really big community where you can play with a lot of people. It's a little bit of a delay to actually get a game started, so that's a little bit of a downside. Um, but you can also play online with buddies, so you can kind of set up a time where you're going to play together. And you can also play a local game over you know, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, which is really nice. Now, is that also on the Game Center? Like, is there achievements for that game too? Or Yeah, absolutely. So it, well, one of the great things about the game is it does mark your progress you know, locally and online with the community. And it really has a lot of great little animations that go along with it so that you actually do feel like you're achieving something as you play. Yeah, because um, between Agricola and Tonto Quarry, having the achievements, like when I played um, Tonto Quarry, the first game I played, I got three achievements that popped up. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> now, like, I've played Ascension like crazy until I got all the achievements in that. I played um, the Penny Arcade game like crazy to get all the achievements in that. Like I had the acquisition disorder of achievements in games. Oh yeah. So now that I saw that that had achievements, I'm like great, a deck builder where it's a random game element to see if you can <laughs> unlock this special way of doing it. Awesome. Well, you have Xbox to blame for that for those Chivos. Oh, that's yeah. all you just get for. I do love me some Chivos. Yeah. What's also great about this game too, especially if you haven't played Small World before. It actually has a whole encyclopedia of the races, the special powers, the locations, and it's all nice and colorful. It's easily laid out. 
Um, so a, uh, a newbie can pick this up, or a pro will really enjoy all the different aspects to it. And it actually has a, a tutorial that you can watch through. So you're saying if I play this game, I won't cry myself to sleep at night again? Pretty much. That sounds good. And if you actually already have the game, like I said before, it's a free upload. So it just upgrades the game without any additional cost. Now I just got to ask a quick question, because uh, you mentioned Small World. Uh, you showed me pictures of those models before. Like, are you going to drop like another $1,000 on some Small World miniatures that you don't get to use for anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Days of Wonder also recently released some information about releasing 3D sculpts of some of their races. So you have the skeletons, you have the spiderlings, you have the wizards, and you have the Amazon. They're 30 centimeters tall, fully sculpted, great design, great detail, but also great price. So they're about 100 bucks each, or you can get four for 300, Dan. That's Did I mention that? Absolutely Ooh. crazy talk, man. I can't even... <laughs> That's a discount. I can't it even is. wrap my brain around doing that. For well, they had the original for one fourth of that price. You can get like three hundred miniatures if you back <laughs> Reaper instead. Like, who would do that? Do they do your taxes? <laughs> they could. There is a wizard there. Um, no, you know, but you gotta admit, if they had a special unlockable thing in the game, like something, even if it was just for the iPad, if it came with either. You know, another one of those cards that give you the talents or, you know, a special race thing. That would be... If they had, like, a code on the bottom yeah, of the statue. Yeah, that would make it pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, the first Kickstarter that they tried out for Small World, actually one of the levels was these 3D sculpts. But once again, it was a pretty high level, yeah. and it was only one of the sculpts. But I guess they got enough positive feedback that they wanted to go ahead and actually produce these. So it's tempting. Well, it's tempting, but pr really, really pretty expensive. The one last thing I want to say about the game is they also have an um, additional in-app purchases. So they have the Cursed expansion, which has some races and powers, um, Great Dames, Be Not Afraid, and the Royal Bonus, which we talked about previously. So if you kickstarted the game, you got those new races for free, too. Now, I just got to ask you a quick question, since, uh, since you guys play tablet games this week. Sure. Because, you know, they never did the podcast before, so they didn't know what we were talking about at the table. <laughs> but Tablet typo. table. It was a typo. Pota potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Now, I'm just going to ask you, like, <laughs> when it comes to, like, the in-app purchases, do you guys feel like those prices are justified? Because I hear a lot of times people like, oh, I'm not going to pay $7 for Agricola. But that game is, like, 70 bucks for the physical game. I don't think the prices are too bad on a lot of these the iPads. The prices are great, and plus you don't have to set up the game. Like, if the game takes, like, 10 minutes to set up... It's already set up on the iPad. You don't have to break out the cards, put them up, or with Agricola, you don't have to set up all the meeples in the correct positions. It's... But at the same time, you don't get the physical chits, and you really don't get the social play with it. So, like, for Small World, their expansion costs an additional $5. So the, I think the game, when it first came out, was $5 just for the game. So it is a little bit like the in-app purchase, five bucks. But I mean, again, like, I mean, I compare it to like, you know, take for example, like I picked up GTA 5. That was 60 bucks out of the gate for just that game. You know, spending like five or 10 for an app game and then another like five or $10 for in-app purchases. If you get like 40 or 50 hours of enjoyment out of that game, that's not too bad at all. Like I always view it by how much play you get out of it. I mean, I'll always play Summoner Wars, the physical copy over the app, given the option. But if it's 1 o'clock, I can't really fall asleep. You know, if we're going to go out to dinner in 20 minutes and it's like, all right, just give me a few minutes to get ready, those things fit the bill perfectly. Like, yeah. it's a chance for you to get what you love. I think that's, like, the reason why they make these apps is because, say, like, it's a rainy day, you don't feel like going out or, like, you know, hanging out with people. It's just 
you're at home, you just want to lazy about, you know, people even bring it to the bathroom too. No, not gonna lie. Mm. I carry my, I get my iPod. I know they play a lot on uh, just saying. Cabal. Yeah, and they <laughs> the flagged games, you know. Oh yeah. But I think one of the things that we looked at, and, and actually the new model that's that's emerging with most video games, especially the massively online games, is the game's free, but all the other little you know perks and bonuses and skins are in-app purchases. So whether you're playing League of Legends or you're playing World of Warcraft, or you're playing uh, you know j- you know Star Wars Galaxies or something like that. That's where it kind of gets you. It's not bad, but at the same time, it could influence the gameplay if someone else just throws a lot of money at the game. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I you know, I get it, like, things like that where it's like, you know, you don't want to buy power. But, like, unlocking additional decks for, like, a buck or two, it's, I mean, it's a case of the game itself is not designed. Like, take, for example, Summoner Wars. The, like, the Undead Legion or, you know, the um, the Deep Dwarves, they're not more powerful than any other race. So buying those decks for a dollar apiece doesn't break the game in any way. So I never Those had a problem with that. Those things up to like that. three bucks now? Some of them, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I've always viewed it as in case of... A lot of people that complain about those prices, I always feel like if it's a chance for you to play the thing that you enjoy, like, it's not required. You know, if, if you're not... Like, if you don't feel like... If you think $5 for Summoner Wars is too much to begin with or whatever it may be, odds are you're not going to... The three dollars for the add-on isn't really an issue for it, you to begin with. It does add up, though. So if you, like if you, if you pay the five... Like, for Small World... I think originally maybe I paid five or seven for the original game, yeah. and then I bought um, three of the expansion packs, which the most recent one was five, so that's ten to twelve. The other two I don't remember too much. I think they were maybe three bucks each, so maybe looking to eighteen twenty bucks for the game. It is still cheaper than buying the whole yeah. game itself or even buying the core set, but it's still not a cheap purchase. I mean, maybe we should think about it compare it to video games instead of comparing it to that's, board games. That's what I was just saying. Like, say, for example, Ascension. I bought everything that Ascension has. I think all the products combined from the in-app purchases in the game equaled maybe 20 not even. And one expansion for that game is 30 bucks. So, you know, for the price of, f- like, two full games with expansion, I got it for less than the price of one physical expansion. Granted, I don't get those little awesome plastic gems. But I mean, you know, like I don't know. It's just my personal opinion. So it's never really been that much of an issue. Well, the, like, the a game, you know, I never, I never got rid of my physical copy of a game either. Sure, but I think of, the other thing you got to remember too is you got to get a tablet, which is going to put you back a couple hundred dollars for that too. Yeah, but I see kids walking around with iPads now. It's like <laughs> <laughs> just find it now. Cheap five year old. Just give me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also if you're patient, you just wait, and uh, it's a dollar. Yeah, I think I got most then, of these apps for like ninety nine cents on sale. Yeah, that's why I got, when you sent me that uh, text about San Juan and Puerto Rico being ninety nine cents, there's so many sales. It's almost like Steam sales on the Apple, you know, the uh, App Store all the time now too. Yeah, I think the only thing I paid full price for was Summoner Wars because the second I played that, I wanted to play it again and I couldn't buy the game right then. So I'm like, app, 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 app. Yeah, as soon as I had the physical game and somebody told me they're like, oh, you ever played on the app? That night I bought it so I can like keep practicing to learn strategies. Yeah. So. I mean, one thing I wouldn't mind too is, uh, you know, like anyone out there that's listening, you know, I want to get your opinions on this too because a lot of people seem to have a negative con- like connection to those prices. So I just want to see what other people think too. So hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Tell us what you think about those pricing models. If you think it's a good buy, bad purchase, if they're charging too much, too little. Yeah, especially because the pricing it does vary a lot. Some games are three bucks, some are almost ten. 
Yeah, yeah like Carcassonne's 10 bucks. Yeah. Which you can almost, with that in the expansions, you can almost buy the physical copy for. That's a lot but of But I money. think the other thing, too, is maybe as board gamers, we really do love the experience of it. And some of the some of the apps really don't capture that either. Yeah. So like I know I have I have Catan, which I picked up pretty early on. I think I paid full price for it because such a popular game, such a really interesting game, and you want I wanted to learn how to play the game, and it seemed like an easy way to kind of do that. That game needs other people. AI yeah. is not going to trade with you and and do those things yeah, that you're going to get true. in a regular game, and especially with some of the like the iPhones and and the, you know your phone. The game really doesn't translate very well, even though you could buy an app for it. Yeah, and I mean, if you're going to do a pass and play, I'd rather use a physical. Like, that, that is the one thing that's true for me. Like, Summon Wars, I'll play against a computer for strategy, but if me and Kim are going to play it, I want to break out the physical game. Well, to help you decide there, you should definitely listen to our podcast, Dan, so you should... Kim and I will definitely <laughs> tell you what's hitting the tablet, <laughs> not the table. All right, good point, good point. Well... <laughs> For for Andy and I, we actually decided to play games at the table, and one of those games was Dungeon Roll. I know, Anthony, you've been talking about this game for a little while, so... Yeah, definitely. We saw it on a trip to Jersey, like, two months ago. Um, they'd gotten it in a little early, probably from the Kickstarter, and it just, it looks cool immediately, because it's this, you know, it's it's a treasure chest, you know, from a video game or from anything like that. So it's it comes in this little treasure chest, it's probably the size of I don't know, like a deck box, a yeah, little bit bigger, a little higher. Um, it, it almost looks plastic. It's not. It's cardboard. Uh, but Aww. I know you want it to be. Solid. I want it to be plastic. Yeah. I want it to be metal. Well, that goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> Would it metal? That'd be awesome. Oh my god! With an actual lock. exclusive, fifty-five ninety-nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it looks it looks cool, and it it is pretty cool when you open it up. Um, but it's you know it's a lot like just a basic you know all those dice rolling games like zombie dice or. Martian, Martian dice. dice you yeah, know, press your luck games. Basically the same idea. Like you roll dice, uh, whatever comes up, you, you know, you're going to spend those to perform actions. Um, but at any given time, you're going to roll all of your own dice. Uh, what are they called again? Yeah, you get like seven hero dice, and then there's seven monster dice. Every time you go to the next level of the dungeon, that's how many dice you're rolling for the monsters. Yeah, so. and so your, your heroes are then are going to be used uh, to defeat the monsters... Certain kinds of heroes are more powerful against certain kind of monsters. Yeah, like take for example, like normally the ratio is one hero to destroy one monster, but fighters can destroy any number of goblins. Wizards can destroy any number of oozes. Yeah, and that's a pretty cool element. Um, there's another, like the dragon. Uh, any dragons that come up, you set aside that die. When you get three, it, the dragon wakes up and you have to fight him. You have to use three of any kind. Yeah, three different type of heroes. Like three you need a mixed heroes. group to take him down, which is a pretty nice with thematics. Yeah. So, like, the dragon can help you because you can be setting those dice aside, and there are some treasure tokens that let you set the dice aside in the dragon area, but then if, if he wakes up and you don't have enough heroes to kill him, you're going to die. Yeah, and one thing I thought was pretty cool about the game was I like the fact that there's the hero cards that level up. So every time you're going to do three full rounds of dungeon running, and at the end of that round, based on what level you made it to, you're going to get XP... You can level up. Each hero has a static ability that helps out. You have, like, a once-per-dungeon-run ability that can, like, really change the game around. And, you know, you get, like, loot and treasures, which can be additional heroes to help you out, gear that'll change what's going on in the dungeon. Like, it's not too bad. It's a pretty nice filler. How many players does it play? It does up to four players. And are you, like, each uh, separate character, or are you just... Um, It's basically, like, a player does their full turn all at once, so it's like they'll keep pressing their luck. So it's... The downside is when you're playing four players, you just kind of like, okay, I don't go for ten minutes. I'm gonna get a Pepsi. I'll be right back. So it's 
Yeah, there's not it's, a lot of interaction. Yeah, there's there's actually zero interaction. But at the same time, that does make the game go really quick. Yeah. Because people just like play, press, press, press. Okay, I'm leaving. Give me your XP. You go. It will matter a little more at the end, though, too. If you see somebody has like 25 points and you have 20, you're yeah. going to press a little harder because. Well, you have no choice. You yeah. just, you know, you're already losing, period. So you might as well just do it. Go for it, yeah. So you do you have to like keep watch of what people do their turn, or does it really matter? I'd say it matters a little. It's good to know because there's treasure on some of the dice. Um, it'll roll up, and you can use one of your heroes to open the treasure chest. And then you can pull one of the tokens out of the chest. That's kind of a cool element, too. You yeah, put all these little tokens in the chest, you pull them out blindly. Yeah, so you actually are looting treasure. You mean you're opening this thing and just Yeah, the treasure physically... stays inside, so... Oh, that's awesome. It yeah, it's, cool. it's a nice little element. I mean, it's... I like it as... It's, again, another one of those nice little, like, time killers. Where, you know, if you got to wait 15, 20 minutes for somebody to finish something up... I'm actually tempted to just to take the uh, gold tokens you use for Game of Thrones and just put them in there. Yeah, right. Like just as paint a plan. over the name. <laughs> then when you go in for the loot, you actually open it up. It's the gold card. It's like, what? This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, just tape the plastic, the cardboard treasures to the other side of the gold coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool because it takes that dice rolling element and then it adds the new, it adds the treasure, it adds the character cards. It's a little more, but it doesn't actually take any longer to play. Yeah, it's a nice quick game. You know, it's a little thematic with the different character classes. The art is basic, but I mean, it works for what it does. I mean, I, I like. I gotta say, it's actually one of the things that I think the next time it's in the shop, I might have to pick it up. One thing I was a little bit disappointed about the game was the, 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 the player cards themselves. I know it's a small box and has to fit everything in, but I wish that the text and the cards maybe a little bit bigger. It was a little hard to read what the the player power was, and it really kind of it was disappointing to its game because it seemed like so much a part of it was the character and yet there was the card itself really didn't have a lot of flair to it and the actual tokens itself were kind of tiny and when you have to look at the other side of the card you know the player card to, to match up the tokens it was a little hard i mean you shouldn't expect a lot for this amount of money but it would be nice to see a little bit better quality on the cards and the components yeah i mean i played it a couple of times and um for for me like after the first game as soon as I reached in the treasure, as soon as I saw blue, I was like, oh, that's 2XP. Oh, I see green. I already know that's a fighter. So it's also, like, color-coded. So the art stops meaning anything after, like, your first or second game, and you just get used to, okay, purple, cool, I got another rogue, let's do this. Yeah, but I think it's, like, something we talked about earlier about Lords of Waterdeep, where you have the, the cubes. And, like, no, this is a wizard, and this and this is a fighter. I think with the tokens, yeah, the dice are so well done that I just wish the tokens were as well done as the, the dice. Yeah, that would have been nice. Also, uh, I know some people who don't really like the pressure luck games where you're rolling dice and basically it's just luck well, that you need. Do you think they would actually like this game or kind of dodge away from it? I was kind of surprised by the level of strategy because when you roll your heroes, you that's your group. That's like the total amount of people you got going inside. So you can plan out like, oh, you know, this next level, I got this item. Like one of the items lets you turn all the enemy dice into dragons. So, say you got three people left, you're going to level five, the odds are stacked against you, but you have that item. You can be like, all right, I'm going to try it out. Go on in. You know, turn them all to dragon dice, take out the dragon with your group of three. Plus, there's also, like, scrolls that let you re-roll dice. So, if you get a widespread of enemies, you can be like, all right, I'm going to re-roll them, because worst case scenario, it just ends up the exact same way. So, it does have a decent amount of strategy, considering how small the game is. Like, with seven dice, you know, seven monsters and only so many options, it seems to give you a nice little variety. Yeah, those treasure tokens add a lot. Yeah, they were pretty fun. 
And um, so one other game I did get to play, though, was The Crazy Creatures of Dr. Gloom. Yeah, that's one of the games Stronghold sent over to us. Yeah, so as, as soon as you mentioned that Stronghold sent that, I was like, this game sounds awesome. I want to see what it's like. And we, uh, thankfully, a friend of ours, Paul Yelovich, who you know got to break out a copy of that for us to try out. The game is actually pretty interesting, and it's another one of those really quick games. Basically, you're going to get a hand of monster cards, one through six, and there's four different colors. And it starts out, everything is in the positive. So if you play a blue number two monster on the blue thing, anyone has to put something higher because of the positive symbol. If somebody puts down the exact same number on that same color, they can flick any machine to negative. So now you have to put cards of lower value or force another player to draw a card. And the game goes in rotation until one player runs out of cards or until nobody can make a play. And then once that happens, you get scoring based on the point value of the cards left in your hand. There's like little skulls at the top that let you know how many points you get. You, and again, you play this one a number of rounds equal to the players. So a four-player game, you're going to do four full rounds of that. What's pretty interesting is like kind of like Poison and the other games where it's like the trick-taking and you know, you're trying to spike some points to your opponents. In this game, if you clear out with an empty hand you get negative three points to your score. So if you scored last turn, you can actually... Some games, if somebody is winning, you're like, well, I can never beat them. You can actually climb back under. Like, you can reclaim lost points, which is a pretty interesting aspect. Not too many trick-taking games really do that. Yeah, I played this a little bit, I don't know, a long time ago, actually. I didn't actually realize I played it when we got it in until you described it to me a little bit earlier. But um, I do like that element of switching the numbers back and forth. It's not just, like, one direction, and then you're out of luck because somebody could flip it and before you to serve themselves, and you're like, sweet, got rid of my fours. So it's it's kind of a cool element, and it doesn't... Um, nobody's necessarily going to get hurt every single round, like in Poison. Yeah. Or it's like that one guy, like three rounds in a row, just gets dinged, all 13s. And the, the one thing I think is entertaining, too, is um, it's a great mess-with-your-neighbor game. So, like, when we were playing, Paul would... There would be nothing but negatives out and the number two on everything. So ones and sixers are wild, but once you see those come out, you know you're covered. So Paul would have three of the things at negative with only twos, and then the positive at a two, he would have that second two and be like, oh, oh, how do I feel like messing with you now? Oh, I'm going to just shut this down. You can't play any cards? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And just torturing people. So it's, it is a game that if you have that streak in you, it can be very fun. And if you hate that streak in people, you may never want to play that with them. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very entertaining. We, we were having a good time. We were all laughing about it. So it was like, you know, a nice little moment for us. It's a fun, quick game. It doesn't take too long either. Yeah, we played through three full rounds of it, and I think in about like under 20 minutes. So you pick it up? Yeah, I think I'm going to definitely check it out. You know, And Stronghold Games, they make pretty consistent, like, fun games. The one thing, it's one of those tin games. So if you don't like the tin games, you may not want that part. I always just pick up my Ultra Pro deck boxes... I got one nice little plastic case that has all my mini games just lined up. <laughs> so if I pick it up, it's just going to go right into the Ultra Pro, right into the box. It'll be great. So we're looking at four plays for us on the games that hit the table and hit the tablet. All right. So one other thing we checked out this week was we got a chance to finally play an RPG, which we haven't done in almost months at this point. And we got to check out Icons, a super powered role playing game by Steve Kenson, who also donated multiple sets of this game to our Extra Life event, which is fantastic. And, you know, I played a lot of, like, D&D, Vampire, and stuff like that. What I like about Icons is 
The system is incredibly simple, so it's a great starting point to get people into RPGs. And Chris, you were mentioning earlier how like so many superhero things are on a rampage lately with Marvel, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., these movies are picking up. So superhero RPG is a pretty good gateway point to get someone into. Sure, we saw recently so many so many games come out, especially Pathfinder, kind of dominating the market, the Pathfinder card game. So we're seeing so much D&D and fantasy elements out there right now. It's actually nice to take a look at a different universe, especially superheroes, which is really making its own strides now, too. Yeah, and what's kind of nice is um, instead of like playing a DC or a Marvel one where there's so many established people, this lets you just really run rampant with your creativity. And the, the game seems like a very nice, simple, basic set where you're not going to be able to get rule lawyered every four minutes by someone saying, well, on page 296, it clearly states Human Torch has a flame power of 96, which means his damage is 12d10, not 11d10. I'm just saying. Like, you're not going to get that by any players. Oh, man, you just triggered my PTSD. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've been there. It's cold sweat, it's cold sweat. <laughs> but what's really interesting about this game is you have, you know, six character stats like most RPGs, and everything is on a system of 1 to 10. So instead of, you know, a 3d6 generating for your stats or whatever, you know, you'll have somebody with like a 6 strength and 8 intelligence, like around those areas. But the system uses two fate dice. Now instead of your normal fate dice, which is a plus minus, 1d6 represents almost like a positive, and then your other d6 is your negative. You'll roll both these dice, and then you'll take that modifier. So if your positive dice is a 5 and your negative is a 3, you're going to get plus 2 to that check. And the storyteller never rolls dice in this game. So even enemy attacks are straight out and players will be rolling their defenses. So the players always feel like they're taking on more of like a solid opposition instead of randomness. Like in D&D, if you're fighting orcs and they just keep landing 20s, you guys are going to get taken out by level 2s even if you're level 5 just because bad luck of dice. But in this game, if you're clearly being attacked for 9, you know that your enemy is at a fixed level of power, that he's coming at you pretty hard, and then you roll your defenses accordingly, but it allows for the group to also come up with more tactics based on that, because they're fighting the enemy, not the dice. So I really enjoy that aspect, and even the powers, most games like list out, oh, well, if you have a, you know, an ESP of 5, you can read people up to 75 feet away. If your ESP is 6, it's 150. This game just notes the ranges. So take, for example, like one power that I thought was awesome was Interface. It basically lets you access computer and information mainframes through visual instead of touching it. And the higher your power level, the more interfacing you can do. So my guy had an interface of 8, which was letting me basically take control of some like basic robots. So when we fought those Guardians, I was able to have two of them turn on their friends and start gunning them down, which was a really cool twist. You know, it's like you. It was almost. It reminded me almost of like the show Heroes back in the day, where people are just developing these random powers and finding new uses for them. So that was like a really sweet aspect. Yeah, I love the powers listing too because they're really simple and to the point. They're not. It's not thirty pages of spells and then spell rank two and spell rank three and you know it's just this guy can transform into ice. Yeah, and he's it's, it's, he's, he's ice now. You know, <laughs> he's impervious, and then whatever effect you develop based on your skill in that specific power. And I think I had like the transformation, and you could actually choose from between I think three or four. You know, gas, ice, fire, liquid. So yeah, that was, was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like I kept trying to find a way for us to do like a Wonder Twins power, but I didn't have that. So yeah. it's like you bucket become a bucket water. of water, and I'll just throw you into the robots. We'll see if we can short them out. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about this game is you're rolling for your character, but you don't have to roll for the origin. So if you don't want it to be totally random where you roll and like, oh, your origin is a birthright, but I don't want my character to be a birthright. You can choose on your own what you want to be, which I kind of like that because it almost makes it feel like more D&D-ish where you can just make up the character's background. And plus, you can actually make them like how how you want them to look. Like you make them look like yourself or you can make them look like someone you, you know, wish you were. Yeah, and now, like, one of the things that I found, like, a little interesting is this game, you know, you can actually dice up your whole character creation. And it's one of the few games that the number of powers that people get could be variety, too. Now, like, uh, take, for example, when we rolled up our characters, this game you actually roll to see how many powers you have. So, in some games you might get a little twisted, like, you know, like, oh, well, every vampire gets four powers, or every person gets this. Um, When we rolled our characters, Kim actually got five powers, which was a really lucky roll, I only had three, but it didn't seem like I was at a disadvantage because I was just like, okay, my guy just wasn't born with as much cool stuff because, you know, Batman may not be bulletproof and be able to fly and shoot lasers out of his eyes, but villains still know to get out of his way. So I kind of like that part a lot. It is actually pretty cool. It's very thematic. You know, you have your Supermans and then you have your Squirrel Girl. Yeah, which was pretty cool. And that even falls through with the uh, the villains, too, DMing this game. It's a lot different than what we're used to playing. Um, it's really easy set up. The books are really nicely laid out. Um, you could play Professor Kafka. And if you know about Kafka, you can kind of get an idea of what you're going to be facing. There's obviously the villain Sock Puppet. So you always got to be worried about that. But there's Tar Pit. There's Ultramind. So it takes a lot from the Marvel DC universe, puts a little twist on a little humor, so it's really a, a nice a nice idea if you're getting somebody in for the very first time. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of first time, like that was the first time you ever actually DM'd or ran a campaign in like years, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I was pretty impressed too. I mean, like the fact that you know it it felt like we were playing it for a while, even though we only did it for like an hour or two, because you never choked up on anything. Like you didn't get bogged down by going, "Hold on, I gotta look up this and then look up this," which was great for players because. You always want to feel like your DM knows what he's doing, as opposed to, um, you attack with, uh, give me five minutes, I just need to go online, quick Google, you know. All those mid-game pauses. Yeah. This game just, it flowed, which was great. Especially with having the dice not have such a big role, so you can actually play (laughs) the story. Pun there. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, it was nice not to have to roll like nine d tens and ones or critical failures. That are go, I mean, that dice system is so quick. You know, it is. It definitely puts a lot more focus on the role playing, which is cool. Yeah, and it's also nice when you actually want to roll low on part of your roll. <laughs> like every time I saw a five on that red dice, I was like, no, <laughs> no matter what the blue <laughs> dice was, I knew it was bad. So, but yeah, I mean, icons is something pretty interesting, and uh. What I like about this game, too, is, you know, we haven't played RPGs for a while. This is something that, you know, I'm looking forward to playing again, because we were able to do it quick. Like, we, you know, like we kind of put together just, like, ragtag heroes. We didn't, you know, invest too much in it. But the other best thing in the world is character sheet is one page. It's not 15 pages and paragraphs of talents and skills. One page character sheet was the best. I didn't have to look around to find out what I can do. 
And it was, you know, it's just like a really simple, fun time. It wasn't exhausting to play the game. And that does happen in Pathfinder and others. I think this is actually a really good game to introduce people who haven't played RPGs to get into it. Because some people might not like that D&D aspect, like dungeon crawling. This is more like the superhero, which, like Chris and Dan have said, you know, have been popping up a lot and getting more famous. So I think this would be a good game to introduce people to RPGs. Yeah, and it's like, I'm thinking next time I might try to, like, make a new character. Like, I would like to make somebody that, uh, maybe was, like, an ex-wrestler or something. <laughs> you know, try to give him some powers, like a Thunder Fist deal, or, you know, like, he has ESP and telepathy. So he literally does know your move before you even do it. You know, like, he was a world champion for 17 years, and now he fights crime. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun to mix and match some oddballs. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the other thing that's great about this game, too. You don't have to worry about people taking it too seriously. So you're not going to have anyone be like, oh, why would a dwarf be a ranger? It's like, because he likes bows. And this works in this game. Yeah. There's no, like, rules of logic. It's superheroes. Yeah. So He got zapped by a radioactive car driving down the wrong <laughs> side of the road when he was riding his bike. His hybrid, Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. His hybrid exploded. Now he's an energy man. Pumps up. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Origin stories are an afterthought. Yeah, so, I mean, once again, I want to say to Steve Kenson, like, thank you for donating these to our event, and we're looking forward to running this on the day, too. If you always, you know, wanted to try an RPG, but you never want to get too invested or you're worried that you would get too involved, this is something we should definitely come check out the table when we're playing it, because this one was really fun. And now for the feature review. So one of the things that we saw in the next couple of weeks is Suburbia Inc. is coming out. And that's an expansion I can't wait for. Details are still a little scarce on this game, but it does note that there'll be new building layouts where your initial buildings, like the locations are different. There's going to be mid-game goals that'll help increase the reputation. And it has over a dozen new buildings. Yeah, also including these long strips, which would be like Nuclear Power Plant or um, National Park, which will actually actually hit a lot of different tokens at the same time. Yeah, and allow you to build off like multiple parts and branches, which should be very interesting too. So, I always love Suburbia, and since we know the expansion's coming out, and of course we have our pre-order on Miniature Market, we decided to look at Suburbia once more this week and, you know, give you guys a walkthrough and let you know what we think. So, Chris, take it away. Well, if you ever have played SimCity, this is really the game for you. Um, Suburbia, you're planning, building, and developing a small town into a major metropolis. Uh, use building tiles to build residential, commercial, civic, and industrial areas, as well as special points of interest, both providing benefits and advantages for your community in the nearby boroughs. Your goal is to have the best borough thrive and score the most points, and in the end, have the most residents in it. So looking at the game setup itself, you're going to have one large population board. Now, it goes up to 150. I don't think any of us actually hit 150 yet. But there was one game you broke 180. All right. That was horrible. I, I remember that game. Was that Chris? <laughs> I thought that was you. No, we played one on one where I got a good score. Yeah. But I remember Chris went past the board and was like, "Well, I guess I just win." So therefore, no one hit one fifty, but uh, one eighty. Uh, but one of the good things about this game, as Dan was just saying, it actually scales for the number of people that you're playing. Um, the game is made up primarily of these hexagon tokens that you'll be playing out throughout the game. So depending on the number of people you play determines how many tokens are actually in the main game. 
So you have that population board, and now the actual board setup or the table setup is a little unique. So you have this large square board for the population victory points board, but you also have these three small triangle boards, the first one being the stack board. Now the stack board is going to hold your A tiles, B tiles, and C tiles. So these will play out throughout the game. One of the C tiles will also include a one round left marker, which will signal the end of the game. In addition, you'll also have another small triangle, which will be your supply board, which will fill all your ones, fives, and tens. And we've talked about this before. It's nice to see different size, different color tokens, so you don't have to kind of mistakenly grab one and throw in, in the wrong token. And then in the middle, you're going to have a third triangle, which is going to be your real estate market. Now, this token is this big board token is going to be the real main play of the game. It's going to hold your industrial heavy factories your community parks, and your suburbs. These are your really cheap kind of tiles. You'll get started with one of each when the game starts. But as the game goes on, you could add these to your boards in order to kind of give you a cheap, easy way to kind of build your um, metropolis. In addition, on the bottom, you're also going to have your real estate market that's going to count off from a double zero, two, four, six, eight, and 10. What this is marking is the properties, the little hexagon tiles that are underneath that will cost an additional amount of money based upon that market. So at, this, at one end to all the way to the right, it won't cost anything additional, whereas the new tiles that come up will start all the way to the left, which will cost you an additional $10. So while there might be something great that just popped out, it may be a little decision-making time whether or not you want to actually pay that extra $8, $10. So a little challenging, a little strategy, watching everyone's little city grow and seeing if they do need that extra airport that just popped up. So now onto the tokens. There are a lot of different tokens and what's really great about this game is while you're not gonna get really dynamic, colorful artwork, you're gonna see some tremendously thought out, sharp, tight graphic design. Each of the cards has something on it that really shows what that section is connected to. So for the um, commercial buildings, they're all going to be blue. They're all going to have that little building kind of symbol on it. And they're also going to have um, a couple of different things you want to pay attention to. On the left, all the tokens are going to have the cost of it. So you'll have 6, 8, 12, 15. On the right, you're going to have, if it's going to give you a bonus or a minus. Now, some of the bonuses that the tiles can give you is a bonus to your income track. So that's really important because each round, you'll take a look at your income track and be able to get additional income from your town based upon that. There's also the reputation track that actually minuses or pluses throughout the game. So the higher your reputation goes, the higher the number of people you'll have in your city. Now, at the same time, we have to take a look back at the population board because the population board has something really unique about it. So typically, you want to score a lot of victory points really fast, grow your population. But at certain points, there are these red lines. And when you cross the red line, your city's doing so well and it's growing so fast that it's actually going to cause you to go down in income and go down in reputation. So you really have to gauge when do you want to make that push and when do you want to pull back a little bit on your development. As I mentioned before, each person 
has this track which will track the income and reputation. Each player will get a burrow board, so it's color-coded to fit that player. Now, this game plays up to four players. Unfortunately, there isn't a fifth or sixth, but actually that might be to its benefit because it might take a little bit long if it had that many players. So you'll notice in this, this burrow board, there's actually notches to fit three of the um, hexagon tokens. But when you start the game, you'll have three hex tokens to start with. The first one is the suburbs, and that, that goes right up to the top. Then you'll have a community park, which is a civic building, and then you'll have a heavy factory. So this will actually help you start off with your reputation and your income for each round. Now back to the hexes. So we, like we talked about earlier, you'll have your civic buildings, which are the blue tokens. You'll also have your green, which are your suburbs, your building, your homes, your yellow tokens, which are your industry. So you may have a municipal airport, you may have a landfill or a freeway or a farm. And finally, you'll have your civic buildings, which are your gray, beigey, taupey kind of color. And that will be your local EPA office, your high school, your community park, your university. So to win this game, you have to have a combination. What makes up a good city is actually having the industry, the residential, the community all together in one. Depending on where you place your tiles will determine if your reputation will go up or down, whether your income goes up or down, and whether you'll meet the victory conditions at the end of the game. So let's talk about the victory conditions. When the game starts, you'll be given two hidden gold tokens. You'll choose one of these. Now these goals can be anything from fewest buildings if you're a socialist, to the least amount of money if you're a spendthrift, to the most industrial buildings if you're an industrialist. So these will give you bonus population at the end of the game. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 15, and it can actually go all the way up to 20. So this is really something that's strategic part of the game that you might want to prepare for. You will also have four community goals, which all the players will be playing for, in addition to their secret hidden goal. Whoever meets that goal the best will get those additional bonus population at the end of the game. One other thing about the game, so you have these hexagons that actually have the buildings on it, but if you choose to do so, instead of playing that building, you can flip it over and build a lake. Now that lake gives you $2 for every building, no matter what it is surrounding that lake. So it's a good opportunity to pick up some quick cash if you need to do so, and actually can build towards some of the end goals. And finally, you're gonna have investment markers. Investment markers are a double marker that you, instead of playing a building, you'll actually play on one of the tiles to double that score for that tile. So if you've already played that tile, playing that investment marker again allows that whole area to score twice. So it's really a nice opportunity to score on something that you really place really well strategically. So based upon your superior building skills and your city planning, the way you lay out your tiles, how they interact with each other, and not just your city, but everyone's city. So some of the tokens will actually benefit off other people's city tokens. So you might have a token that says, for every high school, you get this amount of income. So you really want to keep aware of what everyone else is doing at the same time, because that's really going to change your gameplay. So play your tiles, watch your neighbors, add up your population, add your income, and then at the end of the game, check on those goals to see if they helped you out. And that's how you play Suburbia. So we all had a chance to play Suburbia over the last couple of weeks. What do you all think? I think that this is the type of game that matters who goes first and who goes last. Because with the tiles that are laid out, 
if there's something that's underneath the plus 10 and you're going last, there's a better chance that you're only going to get either a plus 2 to it because as you pick it up, it moves down. So you kind of just want to see, like, you want to try not be the first player, I think, personally. Yeah, it's it's like um, this is one of the few games where you're kind of pinching your pennies a little more because most games you always just want to buy out as much as possible because it gives you the greatest opportunity for expansion. Suburbia, you might only be making like four or five bucks a turn. All of a sudden, you see that awesome building come out. It costs 16 bucks and it's on the 10 spot. And you just know like there's no way you can afford that at all. <laughs> you're only making five dollars a turn. You know, so it's you got to be a little more strategic with where you're spending. It's not even just like where you're spending; it's also how, like investing in those lakes that you mentioned. You know, you may not want to do it, but sometimes you have to just to get that bank in case you you know that amazing thing comes up that'll just set your city apart and launch you to victory. Plus, as good as if you want to go that route with building the the water, it's also good to get the waterfront realty because it gives you an extra two dollars for each tile which make you more money. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff like that. This game, it, you know, saying it's like SimCity is very accurate because you can play it any way you want, really. Um, and there are, but there are conditions that'll affect how you decide to play it. Uh, your hidden goal matters, obviously. But then the four that are on the board, you can't do all four. Nobody, I mean, maybe some people pull it off every now and then, but like it's really... Like Chris in every game he plays? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, usually you can go for like one or two. You pick a couple... Um, you focus down on them, and sometimes they're you know they don't work together. Like one's like highest reputation and one's lowest reputation. You can't have both, but you can choose one and you can go for it, and that's going to affect how you build out your city. Maybe you have zero parks because it doesn't fit your goal, or maybe you have no population at all for some reason. But it works, and you build out that city. People see that they're going to respond to that. Maybe they'll they're going to build a lake, and so they're like, well, I know you need this office building. You're in the lead. I'm going to turn this office building into a lake. So there's so much going on all the time. And that's the best thing about the game, I think, to me. But also, for some people, one of the hardest things. uh, Keeping track of literally all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, like um, those hidden goals are massive, massive sways to the end of the game. Because you might have three hidden goals out that are only worth 10 population shift apiece. And then you're not really too worried. But take, for example, the latest game that we played. Three of them were worth 20. And you and Chris were fighting tooth and nail for them. Like, one of them was, I think it was uh, having, like, the most of the residential areas, like the green tiles. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And anytime Anthony was like, okay, I'm going to buy, you know, the like the condominium, Chris was just like, and I'm going to also get the projects. <laughs> and it was it was great watching it. It was actually almost like watching, like, you know, a, a chess masters going at it. And then at um, the same time was the investment markers, the least investment markers, scored points, and none of us had any. And I think Kim did one. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I could do one. And then Anthony was like, no, don't, Anthony, you're going to give it. And you did one, I think, and then which gave Dan automatically the, yeah, just the by, goal for that. Yeah, just by default not doing it. Yes. You know, because no one ever really pays. That's the one thing I know is that very few people take advantage of in this game. The investment market is really interesting by being able to double up the usefulness of a tile. And so few times people remember to do that. Like, take, for example, like later on, there's an airport. That for every airport on the board, you get one income and you get one reputation. Doubling that card up gives you huge bonuses. Like, you might max out to 15. Like, the highest earnings you can get on any given turn is 15 of residential and income. You might just slam all the way at the end of 15 
be getting huge cash bonuses at the end of every turn, getting like that massive population growth, all because of one little you know token, which is a great shift. I think that some people don't use it is... First, there was, like, a lot of confusion of how it worked. Yeah, that's another thing. Too. When people are like, I'm sorry, you get... All right, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you use it, you don't get to pick up a tile. And if you see a tile, you want to kind of pick it up on your turn, or else by the next time, it might not be there. True. Someone could buy it, use it as a water, or you'd be passed down. Yeah, and that's one other thing, too. Like, this game does have some, like, strange, like, gotcha tactics. Because anytime you buy one of those three basic buildings from the center, you end up trashing one of the tiles from, like, the development row. So, like you said, you know, say you needed to get an airport. I can't afford it, and I really don't want the lake because, say, my hidden goal is having the least lakes. Well, I'll just buy one of the community parks and trash your building. You don't get to see it anymore. Yeah, you do have to end up paying, though. Like, if the... If the tile's, like, under the plus 10, you still have to pay that plus 10. So, you know, even then you're kind of thinking, well, do I really want to hit him that hard? Maybe I'll wait till the next round and do it. Yeah, which I do like, though, because it does help keep the game in a system of checks and balances. It's hard to be a jerk player and just be like, oh, I'm getting parks, destroying this. Oh, I'm getting parks, destroying this, because they'll run out of money. Like, anyone that starts, like, we mentioned a few podcasts ago, when people start playing, like, well, I'm not winning, so I'm going to ruin you. It's kind of hard to do that in this game, which is great. You know, it's they can only do so much. It's very well balanced like that. Yeah, and I mean, one other thing I love too is, um, now I've played this game probably about almost a dozen times. I think I've won one game. But it never feels frustrating losing because you have fun developing the city and like you start to see your city, no matter how it comes out. You know, so it's like you have a lot of commercial and... One thing to note, too, is there's so many building interactions that you might want to get, like, a set of, like, plastic pawns or D6 dice or something, because you might have nine buildings that are influenced by every other player. And it's very easy for things to get lost in the shuffle. Like, Chris, one of your buildings was anytime anybody builds a residential, you got $2. It was very easy for five turns later. Oh, wait, did you buy the projects, too? Oh, all right, all right, I'm not going to take it. You might end up losing out on a lot of money or a lot of income just from missing out on that little part. And that's one area I think that they forgot completely forgot about because the board has so many colors, so many tokens, so many things to keep track of. It really is easy to lose track of those things, as you said. And they really need to have some sort of token marker that would highlight this is something that's going to benefit you based upon what everyone else is building. I think the last game we used pennies just to kind of keep track of what was going on. Yeah, we used those Ascension Red Gems too. Yeah, yes. Right. Yeah. you got to do something. And I think it's a genius way to keep people interactive because I think this game would be very solitary-ish. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you didn't have something making you look at what other people are doing, you would just sit there and play with your phone while everybody else goes. And when you do sit there and play with your phone while everybody else goes... Then you're that guy, like, wait, wait, hold on, what did you, what did you do? Yeah. And you know, a couple of rounds of that, and you'll, you'll be paying more attention. Yeah, and I mean, one thing, like I said, uh, with that level of interaction on the buildings too, it gets like an interesting technique because I had two airports out at one point, and you were looking at the airport. I can tell you didn't want to take it because it would be benefiting me, but if you didn't, then I would take it, and if another airport came out, it would just give me tremendous bonus. Because I would be getting quadruple benefit from the airports. So, like, you couldn't afford to let me have it, but at the same time, taking it was also not what you wanted. It's so, very rare that taking an action to hurt somebody helps you. 
Yeah. It's got to be like if you're in a race with somebody, and like I want to get these, you know, residences up before Chris does because otherwise he's gonna get. He has eight. I have eight. I want nine. Um, that's when you can do something that hurts somebody else, and it makes sense. Just being like, I don't want you to have the extra two income. I'm like, I, I don't care. I can't care. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things you give it up, and you might end up giving your opponent three extra income for turn. Exactly. As you mentioned, Dan, one of the really fun parts about playing Suburbia is that as you're building your city, you almost recognize cities that you know. So, like, hey, that's a lot of industrial parks and very little farmland. <laughs> like, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> I, can, I can see my house on the board from here. <laughs> that's right. It's like, yeah, that looks like Detroit. How'd that work out for Detroit? <laughs> and, and, I mean, that's the one thing, too. It's like the models of the city. You'll start building an idea, and you're like, oh, this is really good. This is going to work great for me. But some of the buildings will have, like, you get plus three income. But minus one income anytime anyone else builds any commerce or any types of these. So you'll buy them going, oh, this is fine. I'm going to be rich. I don't care. Then three turns later, it's actually hemorrhaging money from your city. <laughs> and you, that's one thing, too. You can go into the negatives in this game. Like, you sure. can actually be losing $4 a turn. So you're like, I'm building a lake, so I get money. And here's some of that money back. And it's kind of funny. I mean, it's realistic in the scale. But it's also kind of funny to see somebody... Desperately trying to claw out a debt in a board game, yeah. <laughs> and they just can't do it. You know, it's like it's kind of reminiscent of certain moments in my life, <laughs> miniature market orders, for example. But it's just great to see in this because, and the same thing with the population, too. And the one thing that is dangerous in this game is if you cross that red line and you drop under it because you say your reputation went down, when you cross that red line again, you have to pay again. And an interesting thing, too, is the higher you get on that score track, the closer the red lines get to each other. So if you're not ready for that, like, if you sprint too far, too fast, and you still have, let's say, eight rounds left in the game, it's going to hurt, and people are going to catch up to you. Now, if you can, you know, get all of those points in the last two rounds, you can whip up a really high score, but... Not if you do it early. Yeah, that's why Chris's uh, the public goals plan has always been very vicious. He would gain like 60 points at the end of the game. I take care of my people. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you, you want to especially do if you've ever played this game for the very first time is build income. Don't worry about reputation too much. Um, reputation is going to make you hit those red lines pretty quick. Save reputation for later in the game, but you, you're going to need income to build those buildings, especially if they're higher up on the track. Yeah, and I mean, if you're teaching this game to somebody for the first time, you kind of got to put on the kitty gloves because it's very easy to build a city that peters out. Like you were saying, like you might just ramp up and then you just run out of steam and income. And when somebody can't make decisions in a game like this, it, it could get a little frustrating where they don't get to expand, they don't get to build. They're like, I got to build a lake, I got to build a lake just to get those coins up. Yeah, it's one of those games too. Like the first time you play, you can't really get the full feel of it. Um you're not going to be able to... You can't just race to the finish. It's not like victory point, victory point, victory point. Because, yeah. again, you're losing points the more you get. It's gonna, You're going to fall further back. So you play it through once. It's going to... you know, It almost could use a tutorial you know, version to run through. Well, speaking of which, the iPad app will be coming out pretty soon for Suburbia. We've seen some actual uh, screenshots of that, too. So that actually might be a nice way to play. I wonder if it's going to release like around the time the expansion comes out. That'll be awesome. Oh, cross-promotion. Yeah, I love that. It's like, oh, you love this on your iPad? Well, you want more? Ooh, you got to go buy the game so you can get this too. <laughs> the only thing is uh, it's going to be small trying to, like, build when you're building your cities because mm-hmm. even, like, when we were doing that on one of the Myriad tables, 
they're small and you need a lot of room. Yeah, this game is definitely a table hog. Yeah, it oh, yeah. demands yeah. a lot of real estate. I can only imagine like what it would be like on the iPad because if there's like if it's a four player game, you know, I can kind of see it being a little complicated to read. Yeah, it's definitely for the game the board game itself. It does have a little setup time and a little breakdown time, so putting away those chits at the end is a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean, the storage on the game isn't too bad. The good thing is um, it's not one full, large fold-out board. So getting everything back in is just like a lot of baggies. Yeah. You know? Like, we ended up doing, like, two little plastic boxes to mark, like, for all the... Because, you know, you got the color cubes to mark your income and your residential and your population and your scoreboard. So we just kind of put all that, like, in a little plastic box. But everything else is, like, you know, coins, bags, you know, uh, the buildings, bags, chits, bags, so... And they have a purple person, you too. Like, you know, like the, you have the yellow town and the blue town, and they have a purple town. Yeah, one of the borough boards is purple. <laughs> but we need a meeple, a meeple purple. There's no game that has a meeple that's purple. Well, we I want a little figure that's purple. On our people, on our meeple, purple meeple track, we did this Say that past five weekend. Times fast. I, I'd rather not. You <laughs> <laughs> say it one time slow. <laughs> purple meeple track. Um, Agricola, purple. And we played Alien Frontiers. It had purple dice and purple spaceship. I like the purple spaceship, but I want a purple meeple. All right. Spurby, get on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just the like the wide swing of what you can do in this game. The other thing, too, I like is uh, this is one of those games that, even though it goes a little long in time, after playing it, there's a good chance that you'll be like, you want to play again? And people are like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Because they just instantly want to try something different. Like, if they didn't, you know, if it didn't really pan out, they didn't get those points... People like trying different things in this game, and even if it doesn't pan out, it's still fun. Like, you never feel like you got blown out or defeated. You're just like, all right, well, this city didn't work this time, but, you know, maybe those goals will change, and it will. Yeah, replayability is great. Yeah. You do fall far behind if you haven't planned early enough. If you're just kind of randomly playing, you know, the hexes, you kind of fall behind, and it's really hard to catch up. You do have a runaway leader problem a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, like, if you're teaching somebody this game... Um, I learned from our friend Mike Miley, like, everyone else at the table was, like, around 100 or so. I think I got, like, 50 points. Sure. And he was like, oh, you did good, you did good. But he kind of showed me, like, oh, you know, you might want to look out for this next time. Or, you know, if you, can, if you know you're not going to get this goal, just don't try. Because that's 20 points you'll never see. Get the 20 points you can. And you got to kind of, like, let people know that when you're showing them this game. Because it could be, someone could feel... Like, there's no point in trying again if you win by 80 points or something. And if you're really intense in this game, it's kind of easy to do that against somebody that doesn't know the plan. And there's a few... The other thing, too, is there's a luck element, because not every game will you be seeing every tile. One of those later tiles are, like, casinos, where when you pass that red line, you don't go down an income. Whoever gets that is a golden ticket, because their money can only go up. They never have to fear overspending. You know, so if a player gets that, it's kind of easy for him to just start, like start running over everyone else at the table. So that's one thing to keep in mind too. So as everybody said, this game definitely has a lot of replay value. Even if you don't win your first game, the hexes have so much flavor to them. You really want to see how you can build a city. And honestly, it really breaks your heart when you finally see that token that you really want, but it happens to be at the ten, plus ten dollars side. You see that casino, Chris, and you want it. Take it, it's yours. Your suburbia has been built on lies. <laughs> yeah, so we went to Comic-Con yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit? Yeah. <laughs> there for a few hours. 
population will diminish, but your city will be stronger. <laughs> seriously, Dan, is that, Dan, seriously, is that going to be your review? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> all right, so that's Suburbia. What do you all think? I think Suburbia is awesome. Uh, I think I've played it actually a lot more than I thought I had. I was thinking about it before probably a good half dozen times. And every single time is totally different. Every single time it's a different kind of route route to a victory. And I think I've only won once or twice, but I never felt like I couldn't win. Um, the last time was probably the most fun I've had just because we were in that kind of race. It was more interactive than usual. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's so much going on on the board that you can... You can choose what you want to do, really, and it doesn't have to be the same as everybody else. But, you know, it's there's so many different options in terms of how you build out your city. If you don't want to have any people living in your city, it's technically possible to do that, and you can still win the game with just a boatload of factories and, you know, parks. Probably be very easy, but... <laughs> and goals and yeah, stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's so weird that that's actually highly accurate. It's like, yeah. This is the greatest city that nobody ever lived in. <laughs> Yeah, so I would definitely say it's a buy it. This is a fantastic game. It it is a lot like SimCity if you love that whole element of building your own city, working with the elements however you uh, however you think it's the most fun, but also kind of interpreting the game's goals your own way. Um, it's just interactive enough that it doesn't end up feeling like you're sitting there for an hour and a half by yourself pulling tiles, which would be my worry in a game like this, and it, it definitely handles that really well. And uh, just the replayability is through the roof, so it's fantastic. Yeah, Ted Elspach did a great job with this game. When you first look at it, it looks a little odd, looks like a lot of pieces, looks overwhelming. It's really nice to see that they have player aids here, but even the player aids are a little overwhelming too. But once you get a game under your belt, it's pretty simple. Everything's out in front of you. There's really no secret information other than that one goal that you have. And it really plays well with a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of gamers like this game. Yeah, like that player aid you mentioned, the first time I saw it, it actually made the game worse for me because I'm like, wait, I can do what with what? (laughs) You may actually want to hide that from people the first time they play and just put it out as a reminder later. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games when you play it, you see it, you know it right off the bat. And uh, the rule book is pretty thin. It's only about four big pages there. It gives you a nice description of the different tiles and how the tiles interact. It actually gives you a little strategy guide, so... First-time players definitely want to jump right to that strategy guide to get a little sense of how to lay out your first tiles. But each game plays differently based upon the, on the hexes that come out, so you have a different city each time. Um, I recommend to buy for this game. Uh, I don't know if you can find something that is as simple, as clean, as neat, and plays with a whole bunch of different people. It looks hardcore, Euro, economic you know, play-by-yourself kind of situation. But it really gives a nice kind of SimCities feel where you're building up that city, and this is your city in comparison to other people. And the highest population wins. So those those goals really come into play at the end of the game. So it's really a nice play, and play it. Buy it. I do like this game a lot. When I first saw it, I got intimidated by how much was on the table. And it looked like a lot. And like you guys said, that little, like, side rule guide that got me like really scared to play it because I was looking at it I'm like oh there's so many things I could do <laughs> it's like it got me really nervous but after playing it like two times I enjoyed it more the only thing is I never won a game and I kind of I haven't found that right strategy because 
I e- I'm either too low in cash or reputation, and I can't really climb the victory board as much. And what keeps pulling me down is those stupid red lines. They just <laughs> they just get in my way. I'm like <laughs> stupid city growth, <laughs> always expanding in popularity. Right? It's just, it's, it's just not fair. I feel like it's gentrification. But, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, I recommend that this is a, a must-play because it's enjoyable. Um, you can actually make, you can have, like, a good time with it. Like, if you just want to goof off and just, like, have, like, a lazy day, be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to build a slaughterhouse right next to my fancy restaurant just to show those fancy people what they're eating <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. It's true. <laughs> you can have, like, the farm next to it so they can see the people taking the animals from the... I'm sorry, Chris. Oh, <laughs> dark city. <laughs> they just take the people, the animals from the farm, put them in the slaughterhouse, and that'll make them think twice in eating uh, there. I agree with that. <laughs> that'll little, be good marketing. I'm a little sorry that the, the expansion doesn't have build this city and give you kind of the parameters for, like, it must have this many residential, this many industrial, because I think that'd be fun, too. Like, you're saying, like, Building a unique city is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like even a single-player single, single player option or yeah. something like that would be kind of cool. Yeah, by the way, uh, when you said Dark City, all I can picture in my head is how great would it be if every time you got to a new stack of tiles, you had to switch around all the cards. That's buildings. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, now your city's at minus five income. That's not good for you. Yeah, but you get the Keith of Sutherland <laughs> little meeple. That would be fantastic. I would like that part a lot. Um, one other thing I would love to see in this game is if, like, a future expansion and uh Every so often, I like to throw out a free million-dollar idea for the companies. And for Bezier Games, this is the one for Suburbia. If you can get landmarks and monuments. Nice. That would be cool. Like Empire State Building, from now on, like anytime anyone builds a commercial, they also give you $1 or something like that because it's the pinnacle of. Things like that would be fantastic to see in this game. It could be huge game changers. Yeah. yeah those are always my favorite part of SimCity, too, when you finally get like your monument or your wonder. Yeah, exactly. And that could be a really interesting idea for this game. And, I mean, again, like, this is one of those games, too, where they can even give, like, whole different directions, like, almost like a medieval town, where, like, there's, like, forges and smiths, and it could be, like, gold instead of the coins. Like, this game has a lot of options for ideas to build off of. So since Bazir Games made the ultimate werewolf in those werewolf games, where there was, like, 70 roles and tons of character classes, kind of hoping this game sees that same treatment as the years go on, where it just keeps building and building with options and ideas. Yeah, I mean, they're working on it. They got the app, they got the expansion. Yeah. So, I, I still mean, like the Dark City expansion. That would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Connelly would come visit. She'd be like a little meeple in the game. Like, hey. That would be a really good meeple. That would be an excellent meeple. That would be an awesome meeple. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, as far as everything goes in the game, I'm like, I love all the components. Everything is really good. Now, it's one thing you guys know is I love me my metal coins. Yes, you do. You know, I... I I got the, uh, the I think it's called like the world's best damn metal coins or something coming in from Kickstarter that has different denominations, which will immediately replace all the currency for this game. Um, but I mean, yeah, I'm, without question, Suburbia has been a favorite of mine, no matter how many times I just come up short in the victory track, which is, I mean, it speaks like volumes to me about this game, that it can be that much fun even if you keep coming in like the lower end of the scale. So for me, I would definitely say this is one of the greatest games you can buy. The replay is limitless, and it's just fun. 
And the best part, like you mentioned, it's so interactive at the table. It's not like the deck builders and everything. As much as I love them, everyone is constantly watching what's going on because it all matters in this game, even if you can't attack other players. And that's our review of Suburbia. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Kim. This is Dan. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. Hey guys, I'm in the mood to play something. Who votes for Suburbia or Icons? I can always go for Suburbia. Man. Yeah, I'm just talking about it makes me want to play. Yeah, Suburbia would be great. Oh, <laughs> Fine, but it might, I get to be a superhero in my city. Metropolis? Metropolis. Or no, Gotham. Gotham. <laughs> Please, Metropolis. But it'll be Gotham. Gotham! <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna build slaughterhouses galore.